of a of a ten round match. <laughs> oh yeah, well I thought we was down for the count last week. But that ain't nothing compared to this week. So no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Malachi. Chapter two. Working our way through the book of Malachi. It's important that we hear the whole counsel of God. Sometimes uh, God, uh, in his word, lifts us up to heaven. And sometimes through his word, he slams us back down to earth. Okay. And uh, I heard someone say this uh, recently, actually. You have to realize that, uh, that the valley is also a part of the mountain. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. So so we, we have to take the peaks with the valleys. OK. And so uh, uh, in the book of Malachi, we are definitely in the valley. Let us read. For. Today. From Malachi, chapter two. Verses 10 down to verse 16. Verses 10 through 16. Reads, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob anyone who does this, any to witness or to answer or to bring an offering to the Lord of hosts. In this you do as well. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor at your hand. You ask, why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did not one God make her? Both flesh and spirit are his. And what does the one God desire? Godly offspring. So look to yourselves and do not let anyone be faithless or unfaithful to the wife of his youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and covering one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to yourselves and do not be faithless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to come uh, to hear your word. Your word is a two-edged sword, and sometimes uh, you use that sword to, to, to bless us, and sometimes you use that sword for surgery. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that both of these are necessary in order for us to become the people that you have designed us to be. We ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that obey and understand. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I'm, I'm starting this and uh, I'm reminded of a video of Vody Bachman, Bachum, that I watched the other day. And um, it wasn't on, on this, uh, but he was just saying that we as preachers, have a tendency when we talk about tough subjects, we spend like the first five minutes apologizing 
for what God has to say. And, and so and he says, stop doing that. <laughs> okay. um, we should not apologize for what God has said in his word because then we teach people that, you know, we can kind of downplay or shift the, the, the emphasis of what is being said. And, and, and God's word dies the death of a thousand cuts. Okay, that's me paraphrasing uh, what he said. So that being said, uh, I will not make any apology for what is going to be said this week or next week. Okay, because I'm only going to do half of these, um, half of this today and then the other half on next week. So there, there's no apologies. Um, I'm going to let God be like Nene Leaks. And as we go along, God can just say, I said what I said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So that, there we go. One day Jesus was asked, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Okay. We know this from Matthew chapter 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus picked two commandments, one from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the other from Leviticus 19, and says that these two commandments encompass everything that the Old Testament has taught. So, so everything in the Old Testament can be boiled down to these two statements. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. These two commands cannot be separated. They cannot be separated. These two commands will stand or fall together. The Apostle John says, those who say I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. If you say you love God, but you hate a brother or sister, you are a liar. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. First John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. Again, these two commands cannot be separated. They will stand or fall together. If we have hate in our hearts, okay, and I know that I have to do this for church uh, folk um, because we let, I don't hate them. I just don't like them, okay? If you don't like them, okay, this also applies, okay, because the Bible doesn't say just don't like them. It says love them. Love your enemies. I don't like them, but I, you know, I, you're in sin. Okay, okay. If you have hate in your heart and not liking someone is still hate. If you have hate in your heart for a brother or a sister, that is itself proof that you are in the wrong place with God. We cannot love God and at the same time hold hatred in our hearts for others. My question is the reverse though. What if we despise God? 
What if, like the people of Malachi's day, we continue to perform outward religious rituals, reading our Bibles, going to church? Because remember, they did not stop performing these rituals. They continued to go to the temple. They continued to bring their sacrifices and their offerings to the temple. They did not stop their religious practices, but inwardly, as we saw um, in, the, in the first two chapters of Malachi, their hearts were far from God. God accused them of continuing being religious, but at the same time despising his name. So what happens if we despise God? Is it possible to genuinely love others and treat them fairly if we are at odds with God? And to that, I would answer no. It is impossible to love someone who has been made in the image of God and at the same time not love the one in whose image that person is made. You cannot love people as the world teaches us, right? We don't have to have a relationship with God. We don't have to love God. We can just love one another. That is not possible. The two commands stand or fall together. If you say you love God, but you hate people, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. And if you say you love people, but you don't love God or don't believe in God, there's going to be a very short time period before you start having problems with people. You cannot love someone who is made in the image of God and not love God. You cannot love God and then hate people that have been made in his image. When God is despised, it becomes easier and easier to mistreat those who have been made in his image. And this is exactly what we find in this passage today. Here in Malachi, um, he indicts the people of Judah for their mistreatment <coughs> of one another. After addressing how the priest and the people have despised God's name in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Malachi now turns his attention to how the people are being unfaithful to each other. Notice the, the progression. Chapter 1 in chapter 2, through um, verses 1 through 9, they are despising God. Immediately, verse 10, he addresses how they are now being unfaithful to each other. It really does make perfect sense because if the two great commandments to love God and to love your neighbor stand or fall together, once people turn their backs on God, it is only a very small step before they turn their backs on one another. I want to cover three points here in the book of Malachi. You could jot these down. I'm going to address the first two today. Next week, I will take the third point. The first point we find in chapter 2, verse 10, and that is the fatherhood of God and our essential unity. The fatherhood of God and our essential unity. The second point, the fatherhood of God and marrying unbelievers. That's in verses 11 through 12. 
the fatherhood of God and marrying unbelievers. Uh, verses 11 and 12. And then the third point, which I'll cover next week, is found in verses 13 through 16, the fatherhood of God and divorce. The fatherhood of God and divorce. So today my message uh, is titled, The Implications of the Fatherhood of God. Okay. So the three, three implications are our essential unity, marrying unbelievers, and divorce. Now, as we move to this next section of Malachi, we have to keep in, in mind how the passage is flowing. Remember that uh, the, the last section that we, that we looked at, Malachi was indicting the religious leaders for failing in their responsibilities as religious leaders. They had two main functions. Number one, to offer proper sacrifices to God. They were failing in that. Uh, and the second responsibility was to offer proper instruction to the people. They were failing in that. And now we are starting to see concrete examples of what happens when religious leaders, particularly those who have the responsibility of teaching the word, fail in their responsibilities. <coughs> Malachi is now showing us how these failures were starting to play out in the nation of Israel. Walter Kaiser says, their failure to teach the truth could now be seen in the devastating collapse of marriage and the family as God had ordained it. As religious leaders, we have to always keep in mind that our teachings will ultimately play out in the lives of those who hear us, whether that is for good or for bad. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying to you is not just, well, let me say it this way. Um, if you came, if you come to church just to get entertained, <laughs> You're doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> okay. You know, you can go online and be way more entertained with, with less deadly consequences. <laughs> okay. The things that we hear um, Sunday after Sunday, they're going to, number one, play out in our lives over and over and over again. Number two, we're going to be held accountable, right? So if you want to be entertained, I, I listen, go on YouTube and just laugh. Don't come to church to get entertained, because on Judgment Day, God will say, you remember when the pastor was preaching that sermon you had no intention of following? <laughs> yeah, it's time to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, the people who hear us preaching the word, right, there are implications in how these things will play out in their lives. So, if we fail in our responsibility to teach the word of God accurately, it will have a negative impact on their lives. Now, Malachi begins by asking two questions here. And I think that these two questions really lay the foundation of everything that he wants us to see in all of these verses. These two questions, have we not all one father and has not one God created us? Verse 10. With these two questions, Malachi desires to bring to the remembrance of the nation the fact that God is their father 
and therefore they have a common bond and certain responsibilities to one another. Now, I am going to have to, in this uh, here, attack our mindset, okay? So I want us to see what was going on in Malachi's day, but I have to attack our mindset, okay? Because we're New Testament believers, and we have to see how this applies to us as Christians, okay? And, and I think that the problem is that we share the same deficient mindset that the people of Israel had. They believed that they were individuals having a personal relationship with God. And therefore, they could do whatever they chose to do. And it had no impact on anyone else. And no one else could say anything about what they did. That sounds like us. <laughs> okay. But here, Malachi wants to help them understand that the fatherhood of God, God being their father, means that there is a common bond among them and they have responsibilities to one another. And I would say the same thing about us. We all being Christians, we have a relationship with Jesus. God is our father. Therefore, we have a common bond, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, maintain the unity of the spirit, okay, in the bond of peace. And that also means that we have responsibilities towards one another. Here, Malachi is not addressing creation in a general sense, meaning the creation of the heavens and the earth or the world. He is addressing creation in the sense that God had made them a nation on Mount Sinai. He had called them to himself. He brought them out of slavery to Egypt. And now he had given them his laws and made them a nation. They were now in a relationship with him because they agreed to abide by his laws and be his people. This, in essence, made God their father and bound them together as brothers and sisters with a responsibility, listen, with a responsibility to live their lives in such a way that their choices did not undermine their unity. I'm going to say that again. This, in essence, made God their father and bound them together as brothers and sisters with a responsibility to live their lives in such a way that their individual choices, I'm grown, I can do what I want, <laughs> okay? Your choices cannot undermine our unity. So you can do whatever you want, as long as <laughs> your choice does not undermine our unity. Now, uh, think about this for a moment. Being in a relationship with God means that I have to examine all of my choices and make sure that my choices do not have a negative impact on others. Isn't that what it means to love God and to love my neighbor as myself? I want to make sure that the choices that I make for my life, right? I'm grown. I can do what I want, right? But I have to make sure that the choices that I make, if I'm going to love God and love other people, I'm going to make sure that my choices don't have a negative impact on other people. 
Now imagine if everybody in the body of Christ understood that. Imagine if we stop seeing ourselves as individuals with a personal relationship with Christ. I love that. I just want to ask people, can you ever show me that in the Bible? Can you, can you, you ever see anything in the Bible that says, it, you got to have a personal relationship with Jesus? It's, it's not in there. There's no such thing as having a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me just say that off the top. Instead, we have to see ourselves as members of a body. We are the body of Christ. You are not an individual with a personal relationship with Jesus. You are a member of a body whose choices affects everyone else. Your choices affect all of us. They actually do. And in the same way that God created the nation of Israel and bound them together with the responsibility to live faithfully towards one another and not undermine the integrity of the nation, God has done the same thing for us in Jesus Christ. He has saved us and placed us in the body of Christ by his spirit so that we are no longer individuals. We are a body. We are a body. There is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is a public relationship. <laughs> it is not a private re relationship. It is a public relationship. And that is why every time you see in the New Testament someone makes a profession in Christ, what happens? They get baptized. Do they get baptized at home by themselves? No. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Okay, you cannot keep that to yourself. You need to let everyone else know. How am I supposed to let everybody else know? You need to go get baptized. You know they're killing people for, for getting baptized? <laughs> yeah. Are you serious about your relationship with Jesus? You can't keep it private. You have to let everyone know. I might get killed, so you have eternal life, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> There is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. There are only public relationships with Jesus. Every decision you make from the moment you accept Jesus has a positive or a negative effect on the rest of the body. So you have an obligation, and I don't use that word lightly, you have an obligation to make sure those decisions do not undermine the gospel or the unity of the body. You have an obligation to make sure that your decisions don't undermine the gospel or the unity of the body. Now, what does this cover? I'm, this is not on my notes. I, I remember uh, one time this pastor said, um, was talking to, uh, to someone. I just overheard, overheard a conversation. They were talking about their jobs and, you know, uh, wanting to get a new job and, and so the, the job that the person was wanted to take, they actually had to move uh, further away from the church, which would mean they wouldn't be able to be as active in the church. And, <laughs> and this pastor said, you might want to find a different job. <laughs> you, sh you should not be taking a, a job that's going to cause you to not be able to be as actively involved in church. I was just watching. I just want to see. I'm like, do they act like the people at the upper room? 
Because <laughs> I know how that conversation would go. <laughs> to the left, right? <laughs> yeah, listen. You have a responsibility to the body. Oh, but I'm going to make an extra $10,000 a year. Would you be willing to live on less so that you can have more of an impact on the body? That's deep. It's not as deep as we're going, though. <laughs> well, we're going way deeper than that. We are required. Time to go. We are required to be faithful to one another. Now, listen to that statement. We are required to be faithful to one another. That is a phrase that is usually reserved only for married couples. I am required to be faithful to Janita. That is not something that I feel required to be to you all. Okay? I'm speaking rhetorically, <laughs> okay? You, you know, I'm, I feel required to be faithful to you all, okay? <laughs> That's not my point. That's not what, what I'm saying is that this is how people feel, right? I'm required to be faithful to my wife. What do you mean I can be unfaithful to the members of the church? It's a church on every corner. I can go to any church I want to go to, right? I am required to be faithful to you all because our union with God, my reunion with God, also unites me to each one of you. And so in the same way that I am required to be faithful to my wife and make sure that the decisions that I personally make does not negatively impact her or my children, I have to make sure that each decision that I make also does not negatively impact you. And you also had that same re responsibility to me. Now, some people are like, eh, I think pastor's stretching that. Verses 11 and 12. <laughs> verses 11 and 12. We'll cover these two verses, and then I will be out of time. And you all will be out of patience. <laughs> and so we will, we will come back next week <laughs> and finish this up. After stating this fact, Malachi goes on to detail the first of two indictments against the nation of Israel. They were required to be faithful to one another, but instead they were being faithless or unfaithful. He says, excuse me, that their unfaithfulness was a desecration of their covenant. Verses 11 and 12 says, Judah has been faithless or unfaithful, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob anyone who does this, any to witness or answer or to bring an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, 
he's saying that their unfaithfulness to one another was a desecration of their covenant. They made a covenant with God at Sinai. They became a covenant people. They were now desecrating that covenant by their unfaithfulness. What was to be held sacred by them was by their actions shown to be worthless. Now, I want to put a fine point on this um, uh, before I move on. With their lips, with their lips, they were saying that God's covenant and their relationship with God was very important to them. But their actions were saying something different. Their lips were saying that they love God, they were close to God, I'm committed to God, I'm committed to you all as a people. But their actions were saying something else. Now, think of the implications for this. It is entirely possible for us to give lip service to a love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. I love the gospel. The gospel is very important to me. But at the same time, my actions, my life, is really what tells me how I really, um, tells God how I really feel. God, I love you. We fall out on the floor. We speak in tongues. We foam at the mouth. All of that other stuff. Then we get up and walk right out the door. And with our lives, we tell God, mm, I know I said I love you, but I'll be back on next Sunday. <laughs> so Malachi is addressing our actions. What do our actions say to God? So the question is for us today, in what way can our lives desecrate the gospel? In what way can our lives desecrate the gospel? And I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you the answer. (laughs) The answer is found in Malachi's first indictment. The people were being unfaithful to one another by dating and marrying unbelievers. They were being unfaithful to one another by dating and marrying unbelievers. Now, I want to say this at the top um, so that we can be very clear about this. The issue that is being raised here and throughout all of the Old Testament is not a racial issue. He's not saying that they were wrong for marrying people because they were of a different race. That is not true. Now I can take you probably every single book of the Old Testament and show you that Jews were marrying people that were not Jews. Okay? As long as that person put away their idols and they then converted to being a, a, a worshiper of Yahweh, it was fine. Okay? So the issue is not racial. The issue is religious. Okay? Now, that, and, and, and it says it right here in the text, they were marrying the daughters of a foreign god. And that phrase itself is referring to someone who is currently devoted to an idol. Okay. So they were not waiting for the, these women to, to uh, you know, put away their idols and convert. They were just like, I just love you. I just keep worshiping Baal if you want. Just come on, be with me. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so they were marrying unbelievers. They were marrying idol worshipers. And notice how God sees the marriages of these Christians with non-Christians. I'm using the, the term loosely, right? I know they weren't Christians, but we're applying this to us. Notice how God sees the marriages 
of Christians and non-Christians. He says, it is being unfaithful to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Each time we go out and we date or marry someone who is a non-Christian, you are unfaithful to your brothers and sisters in Christ. What's wrong with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you have to go get someone out in the world that doesn't love Jesus? It is a desecration of the covenant that is the gospel. You're taking something that's sacred and demeaning it. He says it is an abomination. That is something that God hates. Think about that. God hates your marriage. And it is a desecration of God's sanctuary. In the Old Testament, of course, that was the temple. Today, you are God's sanctuary. It desecrates you. Now, I didn't take that. I didn't make those things up. It's right in the text. Did everybody see that? Anybody see that? All right, just just long, you know, I'm not I'm not practicing eisegesis, which is reading something into the text. I am practicing exegesis, which is I'm just taking out pulling stuff out of the text. What does it say? What does it say? What does it say? That's what I, I told him to get my shirt. What does the scripture say? I'm telling you, I'm going to have a shirt made up. And I'm going to just walk around every day. What does the scripture say? All right. All right. Chapter and verse. That's it. Chapter and verse. All right, listen. Run out of time. Malachi says that even your choice of a spouse, even your choice of a spouse is not a private decision. <laughs> I told you. I said, I told you. We, we, we. We wasn't as deep as we was going. We 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 about to hit we hitting rock bottom right here. <laughs> Your choice of a spouse is not even a private decision. It is a decision that is to be made based on the fatherhood of God and your essential unity with the body of Christ. That's mind-boggling. That is mind-boggling. Me making a decision of who I will live with. I have to think about you all first. That's crazy. But it's true. It is mind-boggling that me choosing the person that I will live with, now notice, notice the emphasis I'm putting on the pronouns, me making a decision of whom I will live with, notice the selfishness, can somehow be an act of unfaithfulness to my brothers and sisters in Christ and can undermine the gospel and the unity of the church. Me selecting a, a spouse, if I select the wrong person, is being unfaithful to y'all and can undermine the gospel? 
and the unity of the church, I said what I said. So I'll just like I gave it to you. <laughs> I had to give it to you. I had to give it to you. Right. I said what I said. <laughs> so we ain't making no apologies today. Now, most of us think that, most of us think that <laughs> whom I choose to marry is my business. It ain't none of y'all business. We we love to run around saying, y'all need to stay out my bedroom. <laughs> However, I want you to listen to how John Benton says this. Okay. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from this. Uh, this section in his commentary on this, on this section is titled, How Serious Is This Sin? How Serious Is This Sin? Listen to what he says. We should note the strong language which, which God uses to describe what the Jews have done in choosing a marriage partner from outside the circle of the people of God. It is to break faith and to deal treacherously with God's people. Verse 10. How can that be, you may say? The person I marry is my own affair. It has nothing to do with other Christians. It's not hurting them. But that is not the case. To marry outside the people of God is to deal treacherously with your brothers and sisters. How? <laughs> when you become a Christian, you join the body of Christ. We are committed to each other. Ultimately, just like the Old Testament Jews, we have no other friends in the world except each other. We are called to love one another, to work together, to bleed together, to cry together. Yes, you say, but now, in saying that marriage is your own private affair, you are saying something different. When you joined the church, you committed yourself to God's people, for whom the worship of God and submission to his word in scripture is of utmost importance. Yes, you say, I am one with you in that. But now, in wanting to marry outside the Christian family, you are saying something different. You are saying two different things at the same time. Your words say one thing and your actions are saying something completely the opposite. You are dealing treacherously with God's people. Your action is a great discouragement to God's people. Now listen to this paragraph. You say that you are committed to work with God's people for the glory of God and all your life is based on that. But here's the sentence. You do not consider that whom you marry will either strengthen or weaken the church. You do not consider whom you marry will either strengthen or weaken the church. If you marry a Christian, you can both put your energies to God's work. But if you marry a non-Christian, although you may continue to attend church, which is ultimately doubtful. I want to put emphasis on that. You will forever be torn in two directions to work for the kingdom or to please your marriage partner. Whom you marry decides whether or not you will be a worker or a passenger, a helper or one always in need of help. Now listen to this sentence. Think about this. Okay. So he says. You have to consider that whoever you marry is going to strengthen or weaken the church. And you're like, how? How is that possible? Let's think about cell groups. Okay. Now, when we have cell groups, right, we, we meet in, at each other's homes, right, and we talk about the word of God. 
Now, you have a person who is an unbeliever. Is this person open to the gospel or is this person hostile to the gospel? Is this person going to assist you in making sure that your house is available to be a place of sanctuary and discipleship for God's people? Or are you going to always be tiptoeing around, not stepping on landmines? When you have children, are you going to be able to teach your children to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or is everything you pour into your children going to be consistently undermined by someone who says that that stuff is nonsense? You, we don't have to, you don't have to be that serious. The person, I mean, I can go on and on and on. The person that you marry is going to either strengthen or weaken the church because they're going to strengthen you or weaken you. And that is why statistically, most people who are, well, they never going to make me, you know, change my relationship with God. Well, statistics say that you're going to stop coming to church. And you know why? You've already compromised. God said, don't marry unbelievers. Well, you know, see, this person is so, they, oh, they make me feel so good. <laughs> You've already compromised. No, nobody's ever going to pull me away from, away from Jesus. You've already been pulled away. You just don't know that you've already compromised. So it's just a small step. Before you ultimately make a bigger and bigger and bigger compromise. Your choice of a spouse can undermine the church. Your choice of a spouse can either strengthen or weaken the church. Now, I'm, I'm going to pull these three points. Um, these are points that I've, I've made to you all before. Um, but I, I'm going to read them from John Benton because I think the way he says it is just perfect. Okay. Now, these are the three points. Okay. And then I'll read them from him. Number one, what do you love about this unbeliever that you can't get in, Christ, that you can't get in a Christian brother or sister? I mean, what is about this unbeliever that that is, is so attractive to you that you cannot find in a brother or sister in Christ. Number two, do you realize that you are doing spiritual harm to the one that you say you love? You're harming the unbeliever that you say you love. And number three, I'm just going to use my own phrase for this. I, I came up with this phrase. I, I'm going to have to Google it and see and make sure nobody else has this phrase. I'm going to copyright this phrase. You know, we love to be involved in dating discipleship. Well, if, if I date him, then he's going to get saved. <laughs> okay. Let's see how John Benton addresses those three. Number three is we love to be involved in dating discipleship. Now listen to what he says. Point number one, what do you love about this unbeliever that you can't get from another brother or sister in Christ? Listen to what he says. I'm not going to read the whole paragraph. I'm just going to read the part that I underlined. So that's just enough. Okay. 
he says, now this is now we have to be honest, okay? Now I know you like, mm, if we are honest, we're gonna say, Yeah, we're not gonna say it here, we're gonna wait till we get home. And be like, Yeah, yeah, he was right, he was right. He says, What you love about them is their ungodliness. I, I mean, I could stop reading right there. I could stop reading right there. What you love about them is their ungodliness. And your attachment to that person only betrays the true desires of your own heart, covered with a flimsy film of church attendance. <laughs> 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 I need a mic. I need a mic. <laughs> I need a mic. I need a mic. I need a mic. I need a mic. Yeah, I need a mic on that one. I need a mic on that one. That's it. That's it. He he go on to talk about how, you know, a, a, as men, we are looking for uh, uh, them ungodly women because we think we're going to get something from them ungodly women that we're not going to get from y'all sanctified sisters. <laughs> and it's vice versa with y'all, y'all, si with y'all sisters, and these and these unsanctified uh, uh, brothers in the streets. What what we love about them, what we love about them, is their ungodliness, because it hits the ungodliness in us. He says. Number two, he says, you are doing spiritual harm to the one that you say you love. He says, it's a detestable thing, right? The Bible says it, it's an abomination, right? It's detestable. It's something that God hates. Because by marrying a non-Christian, you are giving your marriage partner the impression that the commands of God do not really matter all that much. You are aiding him or her in ignoring the things of God. You are doing him or her spiritual harm. Now, notice when you are out saying, OK, well, I'm, I can marry an unsaved person. It's not that serious. What you're telling the person is obedience to Christ is not all that serious. We can pick and choose the commands of God that we want to follow. You are doing spiritual harm to that person and we're doing it with point number three in mind this is dating discipleship that all I got to do is date them and spend time with them and then they'll become a Christian too to that point John Benton says you say I'll marry him or her and he or, or she will be converted in God's great goodness that sometimes happens but it is comparatively low it rarely happens the drift of scripture is that it is far more likely for the opposite to happen. You will backslide and even fall away. If it could happen to a godly man like King Solomon, and I don't know if anybody in here is more wise than Solomon, but it happened to him. Right? He, he, he loved them, them unsanctified women. And he, was, he walked away from the Lord. And that's why the kingdom was, was, was split and destroyed. 
right? If it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to you. Besides, think of the hypocrisy involved in marrying a non-Christian and then trying to convert him or her. Conversion is coming to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as your master and king. How can someone who is flying directly in the face of God's command not to marry outside of God's family then turn around and say to his or her partner, you ought to submit to Christ. You are telling the other person to do something which you are not yourself doing. It is sheer hypocrisy. Come on, I can, let, we can get married. It's not that serious to obey God. And then you get married like, now you need to be submitting to Jesus. <laughs> I love to be in when I was, in church, I had so many people come to me and be like, can you pray for my husband? My husband don't listen to the Lord. And I'm like, was he listening to him when you got married? I don't understand the problem. What do you want me to do? <laughs> it's like, it's the same, it's the same way. Be like, yeah, man, my husband won't work. Did he have a job when you met him? <laughs> he ain't had no job when you met him. He ain't had no job when you got married. Now, all of a sudden, you mad because your man won't work. You the problem. <laughs> he, at least he's consistent. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He's consistent. He is consistent. He ain't had no job when you met him. He was driving your car while you were at work. <laughs> he had your debit card driving your car while you were at work. You get married, and he'd be like, well, why he ain't acting right? He'd be like, no, you ain't acting right. <laughs> You're the one that's trying to change him. He, he being, I'm just being who I am. I'm just trying to live his life, <laughs> you know? It's the same thing. He didn't know the Lord when you met him. You thought you were engaged in dating discipleship. Now both of y'all frustrated, and you want me to get involved. <laughs> Can you help him? Can you pray with him? And I'm just like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll try, but I don't know what I can do. I'm just, it, it's your fault. At the end of the day, you are not submitting to Christ, but now trying to force your unsaved spouse to submit to Christ. And you wonder what the problem is. That's hypocrisy. In verse 12, moving right along. <laughs> I told y'all last week, this is going to be real tight. Right. In verse 12 of chapter 2, we find the remedy for this unfaithfulness to the rest of the body. What What? How, how do we remedy when, when there are Christians who are being unfaithful to the rest of the body? The answer is in verse 12. You put them out of the church. <laughs> I had some people like, whoa. <laughs> it's like this went all the way to the left. <laughs> this just went all the way to the left. All right. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. 
Listen, y'all know me. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a chapter and verse person. If it's in the text, I'm going to say it. If it's not in the text, I'm not going to say it. And that's just it. Now, listen to what the text says. The text says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob anyone who does this. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob anyone who does this, any to witness or answer or to bring an offering to the Lord of hosts. You, you think that you're going to continue to live in a way that is unfaithful to God's people, th- in a relationship that God hates, in a relationship that is undermining the unity of the church and the gospel itself. And everybody's supposed to be like, oh, that's cool. That's no big deal. What's wrong with that? God says no. Just like we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God says, lock the door. Don't come into my presence if you're not going to come correctly. Just lock the door. Turn off the lights. Y'all don't even even worry about coming. God says, cut off from the tents of Jacob anyone who thinks that they're going to do that and still come bring me an offering. To be cut off from Israel meant to be barred from entering the Lord's presence. He dwelled amongst his people, and certain sins would cause one to be put out of the camp or to be put out of the nation so that you would not be able to experience you would not be able to experience the blessing of being in God's presence or enjoy his benefits. Now, um, in December of 2020, John Piper made a stir uh, because uh, on his Ask Pastor John podcast, he was asked this question. He was asked the question of uh, what should a pastor do if uh, a member of the church intentionally and purposefully um, marries someone who is unsaved. Okay, so, and uh, his answer was, you remove him from membership. You put him out. Okay, I mean, and and church Twitter exploded. <laughs> okay, church Twitter exploded. His point was, if a person comes to to their pastor and says, Pastor, I want to marry this person. This person is not saved. And you said, and the pastor says, no, the Bible says, no, you should not marry that person. And they then leave and go get married anyway. What should the, pa- what should the church's response be? Okay, John Piper says the church's responsibility is ch- exercise church discipline, which can include excommunication, putting them out of the church. Okay. Now, We, in our enlightened, uh, you know, American, Western view, we would say, is it really that serious? Is it, is it really that serious if somebody marries someone who is not a Christian? Is it really that serious 
that we would go so far as to exercise church discipline. And if and, and if they continue down that road, if they actually go through with the marriage and stuff like that, to actually put them out of the church, is it really that serious? Now, I'll have to be honest with you. I wrestled with that question myself. Okay, When I first heard it, I'm like, hmm. Now, I tend not to disagree with John Piper, uh, but uh, let me wrestle with this. I, I wrestled with it for a little while, and, you know, with me, like, I think about things. I look at the pros and the cons, and, and it takes me a while to come around to an answer. And so a- as I'm wrestling and thinking about it, I end up working my way through Malachi. And as I'm working my way through Malachi, I became settled on the answer. It really is that serious. First, we have to stop looking at things from our own sinful, selfish perspective, right? We have the right. We're not God. Our perspective on it is not always the right perspective. And we tend to look at things from a selfish perspective. We keep thinking that everything is about us and what makes us happy. But we have to remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You don't belong to yourself. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. You have an obligation to glorify God. Your happiness comes second to God's glory. Your happiness comes second to God's glory. In fact, your happiness is grounded in God's glory. You will never be fully satisfied until God's glory and your happiness are synonyms. (laughs) Right? Because if you're happy, but God ain't happy, Ain't nobody happy. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that, that's, just the, that's just the way it is. Or as John Piper has said it famously, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So instead of seeing this from an e- our perspective, we need to see it from God's perspective. And God says that dating a, or marrying a, no- a non-Christian is being unfaithful to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a desecration of the gospel. It is something that he hates, and it is a desecration of your heart and life. That's God's perspective on it. Now, the second thing, I w- um, uh, let me say this before I say that. I said I wasn't going to make an a, a, a apology or clarification, okay? I want to say, th- uh, say this about, um, about this, what I read in, in the commentary about next week, okay? So I forget which commentary it was I, I, I read it in, but he was saying, he said that, um, whoever the author was, he says, when God says, I hate divorce, He did not say, I hate divorced people, okay? We're we're not saying that these are sins that you can't be forgiven on X, Y, at all. That's That's not the point I'm making. The point that I think that is being made is we have to make sure that we are making decisions that don't undermine the gospel, okay? Now, I understand 
you may have may you know you may be married to an unbeliever you may be in a in a relationship and you know you you may be divorced or whatever okay we're not in these passages we're not pointing fingers that's not the point that is being made in the text the point that's being made in the text is we have to learn that 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 we have a higher responsibility to one another okay and the point that I'm trying to get across is the reason that we're in these situations in the first place is because somebody's not doing their job. Okay? Remember, the beginning of chapter 2, this is the same chapter. He's indicting the priest for teaching poorly. You have people who are misteaching people. I literally have people who come to me that are former members of the upper room uh, because, <laughs> because, because, you know, they'll say, you know, well, God just want me to be happy. I'm like, can you give me a chapter and verse on that? What do you mean God just wants you to be happy? And then the next phone call is, well, I called Pastor so-and-so, and and they agree with me. I'm like, that's fine. I'm not doing the wedding. (laughs) And next thing you know, they over at Pastor so-and-so church. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Because that's one less marriage counseling situation I'm going to have to be a part of. Because I know it's coming. <laughs> okay. So, so again, I'm wh- the, the, remember that I said last Sunday, the fingers that are being pointed is not at you. The fingers that are being pointed in this chapter is at the people preaching and teaching the word. Because we are failing in our responsibility to teach you all about your responsibilities to the rest of the body it's not even a, listen we don't even care as long as i got my bentley and my jet you can marry whoever you want just make sure you bring your tithe and offering <laughs> <laughs> and that is the problem that's the problem so again i want to say this don't i don't want anyone to feel that in the message today or the message tomorrow that that, that there's fingers being pointed or anything. I don't want anyone to, to feel that. Point. What, I, what, what we're trying to get across is God is trying to teach us that as Christians, your choices affect everyone. Now, your past decisions, those are, uh, those are dead and gone. They're buried. They nailed to the cross. <laughs> okay. Okay. All we can do is from, what's the day? July the 19th, 18th, from July the 18th, Moving forward, now you know. Make sure you make some really, really good decisions because those decisions impact the rest of us. That's the only point I'm making. Now I'm going to move on. Now the second thing I want to say, okay, so, and then I'm done because I'm well over my time. I owe y'all a long amount of time back. So we'll see. Listen, um, this, is the second, this, is, this is the second thing I want to say before I close. Okay, the first thing is that we have to, we have to see things from God's perspective. Right. Um, the, the second thing I want us to, um, to 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 think about here is why do we hold God and the church to different standards than we hold ourselves? Think about this. Now, we will protest that the idea of of putting someone out of the church for marrying a non-Christian is is extreme. That's unfair, 
right? That that's just that's beyond the pale. Okay. However, how many of us as parents have told or will tell or would tell their children not to hang out with certain people or not to date certain people? Right? I mean, I don't. I haven't. Uh, well, I have once. <laughs> One, I'm like, mm-mm. I'm, like, I don't, I'm not in school, but I I heard some stuff. No, nah, can't hang with that one, that child. Right? We we all do that, right? Why do we do that? To pr- to protect our children, because we know how we raise our children. We want we know where we want them to end up in life, and when we see someone with different character or bad character or bad behaviors. We want our children not to hang with those people because we don't want our children to be affected. Or as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good character, right? So we do it as parents. No, you can't hang out with, with, with them because their behaviors are going to rub off on you and then you're going to have problems. If your daughter comes in the house or your son comes in the house with someone that you feel is, mm, I don't I don't think that they're, they're going to be the right person for you. I think that they're going to lead you down the wrong path or, or you feel the person is going to take advantage of them or whatever the reason is, you will tell your child, mm, you, can't, you can't date them. And then that's it. And then you do the whole dance where they, they try to, you know, you head of arguments and they may try to sneak out and all of that other stuff. And, and so they may win. Like, I'm going to date them. I don't care. Okay, you're not going to bring them around me. You're not bringing them in my house. <laughs> you can go visit over there or wherever y'all want to go, but you're not coming in my house. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it really that serious? Yep. I mean, we treat it seriously. When it's our children, we tell our children, you can't hang with them. And if you want to hang with them, you can't bring them around me or to my house. But then when God says, you are my child, you can't marry them. And if you do marry them, you can't bring them to my house. We were like, that's not fair. That ain't fair. That's extreme. That's not even right. You all are so judgmental. (laughs) And if y'all stop being so judgmental, more people will come to church. (laughs) Now, what's going on here? I gotta say it. I gotta say it. I said I was gonna say it. <laughs> What's going on is we often perform the same actions as God, but when we do it, we call it love. But when God or the church does it, we call it extreme. The reason that we do this is because when we do it, it is our children's happiness that is at stake. But when God or the church does it to us, it's our happiness that's at stake. And that's why it's considered wrong. God is the ultimate father. (laughs) He has a plan for you. 
a plan that is good. Thoughts of peace that will give you an expected end. He wants you to end up a certain place. And so sometimes he says, you can't marry that person. You can't hang with that person. And if you persist in sin, don't come home. Hang out there with the people. (laughs) Hang out there with them. That's who you want. Hang with them. Don't come home. Because God will always jealously guard the unity of his family. He's not going to allow you to come home and infect the other children. He's going to jealously guard the unity of the family. He still loves you. You still coming on heaven. But just don't come home right now. So no. <laughs> now, again, we're going to pick this back up next week. Okay. Um, we're going to pick this up back, back up next week. Um, we're going to pick up with the topic of divorce. Okay. Now, again, we're not going to, you can read the passage. He's not pointing fingers here. As, as a matter of fact, he's not even talking to the wives. This whole passage is about the husbands. Okay. So call all y'all men's. And tell them, come on to church next Sunday. <laughs> tell them, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> you know? Tell them, come on to church next Sunday. Because, because the point that he's addressing is y'all, don't, y'all men don't like to sanctify women. So what y'all, what y'all doing is, is y'all, y'all divorcing the, 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 the sanctified women and finding these women out in the street getting rid of the, your, your, your first wives and getting your new wife. And we got to talk about that. We're going to talk about that next week. Let's pray. <laughs> 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 Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we thank you for allowing us to be able to uh, come to your word. I know that sometimes we come and, and, um, you know, the word kind of builds us up. But sometimes we have to be torn down in places that, that, that the, the structure has been put on a bad foundation. And, Lord, I think that uh, too often we don't think about the impact of our decisions on the rest of the body. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Holy Spirit, it is, it is your job to, to take what I have said, what has been said in the word, and, and apply it to each heart. Only you know what each person is is going through, each person is experienced or has experienced. And so we pray, Lord, that you would would give us wisdom by your spirit on how to apply all of the things that uh, has been said. I pray, Lord, also that you would help people, uh, uh, that that everyone that is hearing what I've said, that, that they would hear it with grace. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that Even the hard things in your word are supposed to be received with grace and with love. And so I pray, Lord, that no one uh, takes uh, anything that has been said here uh, hard or as as pointing fingers or to to feel bad about anything that is is or has been in their life. But I pray, Lord, that 
that you by your spirit would apply this to each heart differently and separately based on what we need and where we are in our walk with you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us moving forward to make sure that we make better decisions, right decisions. Or if we are to look for uh, uh, another relationship or if we have children that, that need to marry, that, that we would, would, would teach these principles because, as we'll see in uh, the, the next section we'll see next week, the reason that you say this about not marrying unbelievers and the reason that you are so hard when it comes to the issue of divorce is because you want godly offspring. And the quickest way to undermine having a godly generation is marrying unbelievers and breaking up families. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you, and we need to live our lives in a way that is faithful to other believers and that does not undermine the same gospel that we are preaching to other people. Keep working on us because all of us will fail. None of us, including myself, will succeed in this every single decision. But I pray, Lord, that we would be mindful of these things so that we don't detract in any way from your universal glory. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.